Hi, and welcome to Seeking the Gospel Truth. I'm Giselle Aguiar, and 2022 starts the third year of this podcast and corresponding blog. I go through the Bible chapter by chapter, guiding you, even if you've never read the Bible before. Right now, I'm going through the Old Testament prophets, revealing how Bible prophecies that were written 700 years before Christ predict not just what was going to happen back then, but what happened when Jesus came. They even predict the end times and last days that are coming true right now. I pray that as you hear God's word, it will inspire you to study the Bible daily for yourself. Seek the truth. I pray that God opens your heart, eyes, and mind to understand what the Holy Spirit is trying to tell you. And as you become rooted in the word, you'll also be rooted in hope, joy, and peace. Hey, new year, new life. Let's dig in. Jeremiah 39 to 41. It's inevitable. No one can stop the epic judgment of God. Time's up. They were warned. Over and over again, the Israelites were warned. Unfortunately, they didn't heed the warning. They ignored it, rejected it, and God. Too late now. In today's chapter, we we in today's chapters we have the historical account of the Babylonians' final attack on Jerusalem. They burned the city and the beautiful temple that Solomon built. They steal all the temple treasures that King Hezekiah so proudly showed the Babylonian visitors back in 2 Kings. What happens to our hero prophet Jeremiah? Well, let's dig in. Jeremiah 39, the fall of Jerusalem. In January of the ninth year of King Zedekiah's reign, King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon came with his entire army to besiege Jerusalem. Two and a half years later, on July 18th in the 11th year of Zedekiah's reign, a section of the city wall was broken down. All the officers of the Babylonian army came in and sat in triumph at the middle gate. Nergal Sherzer of Samgar and Nevo Sarsakim, a chief officer, and Nergal Sharazer, the king's advisor, and all the other officers of the king of Babylon. Okay, all those are titles. Those weren't names of people. When King Zedekiah of Judah and all the soldiers saw that the Babylonians had broken into the city, they fled. They waited for nightfall and then slipped through the gate between the two walls behind the king's garden and headed toward the Jordan Valley. But the Babylonian troops chased them and overtook Zedekiah on the plains of Jericho. They captured him and took him to King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon, who was at Riblah in the land of Hamath. There, the king of Babylon pronounced judgment upon Zedekiah. The king of Babylon made Zedekiah watch as he slaughtered his sons at Riblah. The king of Babylon also slaughtered all the nobles of Judah. Then he gouged out Zedekiah's eyes and bound him in bronze chains to lead him away to Babylon. Meanwhile, the Babylonians burned Jerusalem, including the royal palace and the houses of the people, and they tore down the walls of the city. Then Nebuzaradan, the captain of the guard, took as exiles to Babylon the rest of the people who remained in the city, those who had defected to him and everyone else who remained. But 
<sighs> Let me get that again. Nebuzaradan allowed some of the poorest people to stay behind in the land of Judah, and he assigned them to care for the vineyards and fields. Jeremiah remains in Judah. King Nebuchadnezzar told Nebuzaradan, the captain of the guard, to find Jeremiah. See that he isn't hurt, he said. Look after him well and give him anything he wants. So Nebuzaradan, the captain of the guard, and Nebuchadnezzar, a chief officer, Nergal Sharazer, the king's advisor, and the other officers of Babylon's king sent messengers to bring Jeremiah out of the prison. They put him under the care of Jedaliah, son of um, Ahakim, and grandson of Shaphan, who, um, who took him back to his home. So Jeremiah stayed in Judah among his own people. The Lord had given the following message to Jeremiah while he was still in prison. Say to Ebed-Melech, the Ethiopian, this is what the Lord of heaven's armies, the God of Israel, says. I will do to this city everything I have threatened. I will send disaster, not prosperity. You will see its destruction. But I will rescue you from those you fear so much. Because you trusted me, I will give you your life as a reward. I will rescue you and keep you safe. I, the Lord, have spoken. Because he trusted him. Look at that. Jeremiah 39. Some key points here. So we have two distinct fools in this chapter. So here's fool number one. First, the fall of Jerusalem lasted 18 agonizing months. It began on July 18th, 586 BC, and it's recorded four times in the Old Testament in 2 Kings 25, 2 Chronicles 36, this chapter, and again in Jeremiah 52. It is a critical turning point in Israel's history, in God's story, and an invaluable lesson for us today. Zedekiah was Nebuchadnezzar's puppet king. Zed's mistake was rebelling against Babylon and hoping Egypt would help him. Here's fool number one. Zedekiah's rebellion caused him the lives of his sons and the loss of his sight. One of God's prophecies came true here. Zed got to meet Nebuchadnezzar with Nebuchadnezzar eye to eye in Riblah. Furthermore, there's another prophecy in Ezekiel, which we'll get to next, that says he'll never see Babylon. He was blinded in Riblah. The death of his sons was the last thing Zedekiah saw. What a horrible punishment for his rebellion. Jeremiah was finally released from prison and free to do whatever he wanted. Going on, Jeremiah 40. The Lord gave this message to Jeremiah after Nebuzaradan, the captain of the guard, had released him at Ramah. He had found Jeremiah bound in chains among all the other captives of Jerusalem and Judah who were being sent to exile in Babylon. The captain of the guard called for Jeremiah and said, the Lord your God has brought this disaster on this land, just as he said he would, for these people have sinned against the Lord and disobeyed him. Now, this is the Gentile, the Babylonian saying this. Like, they, they knew why this was all happening. And that's the next line. That is why it happened. But I'm going to take off your chains and let you go. If you want to come with me to Babylon, you are welcome. I will see that you are well cared for. But if you don't want to come, you may stay here. The whole land is before you. Go wherever you like. 
if you decide to stay, then return to Jedaliah, son of Ahakim, and grandson of Shaphan. He has been appointed governor of Judah by the king of Babylon. Stay there with the people he rules. But it's up to you. To uh, but but it's up to you. Go wherever you like. Then Nebuzaradan, the captain of the guard, gave Jeremiah some food and money and let him go. So Jeremiah returned to Jedaliah, son of Ahakim, at Mizpah. And he lived in Judah with a few who, who with the few who were still left in the land. That's Jeremiah 40. But we're going to pause here a minute. Verses 1 through 6. Wasn't Jeremiah free to do what he pleases? How did he end up having to be released again? Apparently, there's an interesting extra biblical story here. And Pastor Sandy Adams explains, quote, there is an emotional extra biblical story told by the Jewish rabbis. When Jeremiah saw his fellow Jews shackled, he voluntarily chained himself to them to show love for them. He'd been bound to the Jews spiritually for 40 years. He'd suffer for them. He would continue to do so as they were taken into exile. This is the kind of love that voluntarily bound Jesus to the cross. He suffered with us and ultimately for us. Again, that's from Pastor Sandy Adams. You can click on over to my blog and click over to um, uh, the video of his uh, teaching on this chapters, on these chapters. And Jesus told us in John 15, 13, there is no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends. That's what Jesus did. Jeremiah had a choice and he chose to stay with the poorest of the poor remnant of his people. That's love and dedication. We don't see that much in the world today. It takes a special person to sacrifice their lives for a friend. I've heard stories of US veterans of Afghanistan who have gone back to rescue their Afghan translators, guides, and partners from the disaster that President Biden's unbelievable pullout of Afghanistan caused. That is heroism, valor, bravery, selflessness, and courage. Continuing, Jedaliah governs in Judah, verse seven. The leaders of the Judean um, military groups in the countryside heard that the king of Babylon had appointed Jedaliah, son of um, Ahiakam, as governor over the poor people who were left behind in Judah. The men, women, and children who hadn't been exiled to Babylon. So they went to see Jedaliah and Mizpah, and these included Ishmael, son of Nathaniah, Johanan and Jonathan, sons of Kareah, Sariah, son of Tanumeth, the sons of Ephi, the Netophanathite, Chezaniah, son of Mekathite, and all their men. <laughs> Jedaliah vowed to them that the Babylonians meant them no harm. Don't be afraid to serve them. Live in the land and serve the king of Babylon and all will go well for you, he promised. As for me, I will stay at Mizpah to represent you before the Babylonians who come to meet with us. Settle in the towns you have taken and live off the land. Harvest the grapes and summer fruits and olives and store them away. 
When the Judeans in Moab, Ammon, and Edom, and the other nearby countries heard that the king of Babylon had left a few people in Judah and that Gedaliah was the governor, they began to return to Judah from the places to which they had fled. They stopped at Mizpah to meet with Gedaliah and then went into the Judean countryside to gather a great harvest of grapes and other crops. A plot against Gedaliah. Verse 13, soon after this, Johanan, son of Korea, and the other military leaders came to Gedaliah in Mizpah. They said to him, did you know that Baalus, the uh, king of Ammon, has sent Ishmael, son of Nethaniah, to assassinate you? But Gedaliah refused to believe them. Later, Johanan had a private conference with Gedaliah and volunteered to kill Ishmael secretly. Why should we let him come and murder you, Johanan asked. What will happen then to the Judeans who have returned? Why should the few of us who are still left be scattered and lost? But Gedaliah said to Johanan, I forbid you to do such a thing for you are lying about Ishmael. It's the end of Jeremiah 40. Some key points here. So here we have fool number two. Gedaliah should have heeded his advice. We'll see in the next chapter what happens to him. The Ammonites have always been enemies of Israel. King Baalish didn't want the remnant of the Jews staying in their land. So he hires a hitman, Ishmael. Notice this king's name, Baalish. It's a derivative of the faith God they worshiped, Baal. Continuing, Jeremiah 41. Gedaliah's fate. But in mid-autumn of that year, Ishmael, son of Nethaniah and grandson of Elishama, who was a member of the royal family, had been one of the king's high officials, went to Mizpah with 10 men to meet Gedaliah. While they were eating together, Ishmael and his 10 men suddenly jumped up, drew their swords, killed Gedaliah, whom the king of Babylon had appointed governor. Ishmael also killed all the Judeans and the Babylonian soldiers who were with Gedaliah at Mizpah. The next day, before anyone had heard about Gedaliah's murder, 80 men arrived from Shechem, Shiloh, and Samaria to worship at the temple of the Lord. They had shaved off their beards, torn their clothes, and cut themselves, and had brought along grain offerings and frankincense. Um, they were mourning the temple. They were going to worship at the temple ruins. Ishmael left Mizpah to meet them, weeping as he went. When he reached them, he said, oh, come and see what has happened to Jeliah. But as soon as they were all inside the town, Ishmael and his men killed all but 10 of them and threw their bodies into a cistern. The other 10 had talked uh, Ishmael into letting them go by promising to bring him their stores of wheat, barley, olive oil, and honey that they had hidden away. The cistern where Ishmael dumped the bodies of the men he murdered was the large one dug by King Asa when he fortified Mizpah to protect himself against King ba Basha of Israel. Ishmael, son of Nethaniah, filled it with corpses. Then Ishmael made captives of the king's daughters and the other people who had been left under Gedaliah's care in Mizpah by Nebuzaradan, the captain of the guard. 
taking with them, he's uh, taking them with him. He started back toward the land of Ammon. But when Johanan, son of Perea, and the other military leaders heard about Ishmael's crimes, they took all their men and set out to stop him. They caught up with him at the large pool near Gibeon. The people Ishmael had captured shouted for joy when they saw Johanan and the other military leaders and all the captives from Mizpah escaped and began to help Jonathan. Meanwhile, Ishmael and eight of his men escaped from Johanan into the land of Ammon. Then Johanan, son of Korea, and other military leaders took all the people they had rescued in Gibeon, the soldiers, women, children, and court officials whom Ishmael had captured after he killed Gedaliah. They took them all to the village of Geruth Kimham near Bethlehem, where they prepared to leave for Egypt. They were afraid of what the Babylonians would do when they heard that Ishmael had killed Gedaliah, the governor appointed by the Babylonian king. That's the end of Jeremiah 41. So here's some key points here. As it turns out, this Ishmael was of King David's royal lineage. Was this jealousy? Did he think he should have been appointed governor? Wasn't it his right? The day Solomon's temple was destroyed was the ninth of Av, that's a V, in the Jewish calendar. The day Herod's temple was destroyed in 70 AD was also the ninth of Av. Remember, there are no coincidences when it comes to God. Note, too, that the Jews were in captivity in Babylon for 70 years. You haven't picked up on this yet, but numbers play a major role in Bible prophecies. You might want to click on over to my blog and read the article on that. Jewish pilgrims wanted to mourn at the temple ruins. Right now, the only thing left of the Herodian temple in Jerusalem is what's called the Wailing Wall, and Jews today mourn the loss of the two temples on the 9th of Av. Jedaliah, like Jedekiah, didn't heed the warnings and wise advice. Two fools. The remnant planned to escape to Egypt, exactly what God told them not to do. Won't these people learn? What happened to Jeremiah? Well, we'll find out in these final chapters of his powerful book. Here are a few more things to think about. So what stood out for you in this story? What do you think God is trying to say to you? And how can you apply what you learned here to your life? Here's some closing words of wisdom from Solomon's book of Proverbs. Proverbs 3.10, pride leads to conflict. Those who take advice are wise. Proverbs 23.9, don't waste your breath on fools for they will despise the wise's advice. And my, one of my favorites is Proverbs 3, 5 through 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not depend on your own understanding. Seek his will in all you do and he will show you which path to take. Trust God. Had both these fools heeded God's wisdom and advice, things would have turned out differently. Alas, we can only learn from these foolish mistakes. And Sandy Adams has some great final thoughts. Quote, because the Jews feared a Babylonian reprisal, their plan was to flee to Egypt. And here's the irony of ironies. 860 years earlier, God had delivered them from Egypt. Now the Jews are back where they started. And here's the lesson for us. 
despite all God has done in us, if we don't continue in our faith, we'll end up back in the bondage we escaped. Let's not just have faith, but continue in faith. Again, that's from Pastor Sandy Adams. And if you want to click on over to my blog and um, and check out his lesson, which is a little bit more intensive than what I did. I kind of took all the best parts out of it. But friend, we are living in some trying times. If you thought things were bad, crazy, and weird in 2020 and 2021, what's ahead of us will not be smooth sailing. We cannot depend on ourselves, other humans, governments, or anything to help us, only God. Moreover, we are living in the last days and God's final judgment day is coming. Whether you like it or not, whether you're ready or not, isn't it time that you got right with God? Well, you know, Jesus didn't suffer torture and die so we could have religion. He died so he could have a personal relationship with you. And he told us in Revelation 3.20, look, I stand at the door and knock. If you hear my voice, open the door and I will come in and we will share a meal together as friends. Jesus is knocking at the door of your heart. Let him in. Invite Jesus into your heart and receive the gift of grace and confident hope of eternal life. If you don't know what to say, you don't know what to do, there's a prayer in the show notes, or you can click on over to my blog and click where it says, how to invite Jesus into your heart. Soli Deo Gloria, to God alone be the glory. Are you a born-again Christian with Catholic friends or family members? Have you struggled with how to bring up the truth of Jesus' salvation? I had the same problem, so I put together a free ebook, The Catholic Mission Field in Our Backyards. It's a guide to help you start the conversation and plant the seed that will get them thinking, am I missing something? Check it out. It's a free download on my website. You'll find the link in the show notes. Oh, please. Let me know if it helped you. If you're a born-again believer helping a Catholic friend or family member start reading the Bible, it's a great idea to give them one. But which version or translation would be a good one for them? There are too many to choose from. As a former Catholic, it helped me to have a Bible translation in plain, everyday English. And I know many evangelical Christians are very much attached to the King James Version. That's fine if that's what you grew up with. Remember, Catholics have grown up with priests and nuns telling them they don't need to read the Bible. All they have to do is trust the church to teach them what they need to know. Only they don't, and that's the problem. When I first started going back to church, a well-meaning friend told me to get a King James Version. Well, guess what? I got frustrated with the these and thous and stopped reading it totally defeating the purpose. Eventually, I got the new international version or the NIV, and that was the best for a new Christian to get into the habit of reading the Bible daily. Today, I also study from the New King James Version or NKJV and the New Living Translation, the NLT. I'm now an affiliate of Christian book distributors and I've chosen three study Bibles that would be a great gift for that Catholic or progressive friend whom you'd like to help get into the habit of reading the Bible daily. They are also a great, they're also great for the new Christian believer. 
check them out. The link is in the show notes. And by the way, all commissions will be donated to one or more of the Bible translating ministries listed on my site. So give the gift of the word of God and help spread the word while you're at it. Thank you for listening to this episode. I pray that the Holy Spirit, the author of scripture, touched your heart to reveal the gospel truth that our hope of salvation is through Jesus Christ alone. If you have any comments or questions, feel free to reach out to me via my website or social media. I encourage you to read the Bible daily and seek the truth for yourself. I recommend that you download two free Bible study apps, the YouVersion Bible app and Through the Word. Friends, we are living in strange, crazy times, the last days, the end times. But know that things aren't falling apart, they are falling into place. Jesus said in Revelation 3, 20-22, Look, I stand at the door and knock. If you hear my voice and open the door, I will come in, and we will share a meal together as friends. Those who are victorious will sit with me on my throne, just as I was victorious and sat with my father on his throne. Anyone with ears to hear must listen to the Spirit and understand what he is saying to the churches. Jesus is knocking. It's up to you to open the door. Peter told us in 2 Peter 3.9, The Lord isn't really being slow about his promise, as some people think. No, he is being patient for your sake. He does not want anyone to be destroyed or perish, but wants everyone to repent. Jesus is coming back soon. Are you ready? Repent of your sins and invite Jesus into your heart right now. If you don't know what to say, there's a prayer in the show notes and on my blog. Jesus said in Matthew 24, 14, and the good news about the kingdom will be preached throughout the whole world so that all nations will hear it and then the end will come. Soli Deo Gloria, to God alone be the glory.